Hey, well, good morning and welcome to Tri-Cities Church. Hey, if we never met, I'm Wesley. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you're here. Um, just a quick announcement, our middle school study group, Kim, wave your hand. Our middle school study group is meeting this morning um, back here in the lounge. And so uh, if you're a middle schooler and you're here, you can feel free to go with them. Hey, this morning is a special morning here. Um, we're, we're ordaining uh, Paul this morning, and so I'm sure some of you are here for that. Yeah, yeah. It's an exciting thing, but before we get to that, let me, let me just say one thing. That uh, uh, the, the worship team that you saw standing here, they're cold-blooded, I'm telling you. I, I, um, so this morning, I pulled up in the parking lot, right? The first person I see is Cedric, right? Cedric was here. Cedric has on his black suit, tie, dress, sharp, looking good. The next person I saw was Kim Green. And Kim had on this black dress and sharp, looking good. Then I saw Paul, and Paul has on a three-piece suit, right? <clears throat> and I looked down, and I got on my blue jeans and, uh, and this shirt and no jacket. And, and I found out midweek they had a little private discussion, right? <laughs> That they didn't let me in on, and they all agreed that they were going to have a dress code, they were going to dress a certain way. I said, y'all are cold, cold-blooded, man. Uh, so good thing, good thing is I live, you know, not, not far, and I was able to run home, grab a jacket, change my pants. And, uh, um, but the reality is um, we, we do, today is a special day, um, and we are, uh, we are um, honoring um, the, uh, the call of God upon Paul's life. And we're excited about all that that means uh, today. Ordination is, you know, it's a tradition in the church. It goes all the way back to the beginning where the church would lay hands on people and send them off for ministry. Now, some people, either they've been reading the scripture or, uh, or just are kind of savvy. But I've had a couple of people ask me, so does this mean that Paul is leaving? Like, is this like the end of Paul at Tri-Cities Church? And, and the best answer that I've had was, it better not be, right? Um, <laughs> And I got close to telling one person, if Paul's going, it, I might be not for now. Um, but we, we, as a church, we've been blessed to have um, Paul. And have him tell you the story sometime um, about how he got to Tri-Cities Church. I mean, it's just definitely God connecting us with, with him and God connecting him with us. And, um, and so we've been blessed to be able to get to know him uh, get to, to know him uh, better as a friend, as a, as a fellow minister. Some of you were here when he preached. Get to know him in that way um, and, and, and to see him grow, to go through difficult times even in life and to see him grow through that, continue to lead through that. Um, and so it is an honor and a privilege this morning for us to be able to, uh, to ordain him and to, uh, to affirm the call of God upon his life. Well, this morning we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 37, so if you brought your Bible and you like to read along, you can go ahead and turn there, um, because we're going to uh, be in Ezekiel for our message, and um, so let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning that you, um, that you call us, and that you call not just Paul, not just Wesley, not just Jamie, but you call us. You call all of us to mission. You call all of us to freedom. And it's for freedom that we've been set free. We've been set free that we might be servants of you, servants of the gospel. That we might love others, that we might walk with people toward you. And so God, as we study this passage in Ezekiel, please help us to understand better what it looks like to serve you. Help us understand better what it looks like to serve you in an ordained ministry capacity. 
God, just draw us all closer to you. Not that we might just enjoy our closeness, but that we might point others to you as well. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so Ezekiel chapter 37. Actually, this is one of my favorite Old Testament passages uh, of Scripture. And it's just kind of an interesting, almost sci-fi-like passage of Scripture um, that I like to read. Now, Ezekiel was a prophet. Just a little bit of background. Ezekiel was a a prophet. Um, To say that he was a prophet means that he received... Uh, special messages from God that were typically for the nation, right? And and so that's the way prophetic or the prophetic gift or prophecy worked in the Old Testament is that God will reveal something to someone, right? A lot of times through dreams and visions, God reveals something to someone, but what he was revealing to them wasn't just for their own benefit or for their own blessing, but most times it was for the blessing of of the nation for the benefit of the entire nation. And so here in Ezekiel chapter 37, we have this passage where God shows Ezekiel something in a vision, a dream that was for the entire nation. So I'm going to read that Ezekiel chapter 37. It says, and I'm going to read just, I think the first six verses, it says, the hand of the Lord was on me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And so imagine this scene that Ezekiel's in, right? God leads him in this vision, this dream, down into this valley that's filled with bones. It's the driest, deadliest situation that one could imagine. The Bible says that these bones are dry. They've been long gone. Life has been long gone from them. They haven't walked in a long time. Life hadn't been there for a long time time and God leads Ezekiel down into this valley and you can imagine as he's stepping and as he's walking these bones are rattling under his feet the only noise they're making is the noise as Ezekiel walks through this valley of death it's a frightening place to be but more than that it's a hopeless place The memories of life long gone are resting there in that valley. And Ezekiel can do nothing but think about what must have been, what kind of life these people must have lived. Hope was removed. They would never come to life again. But God tells him to do something there in that valley. God calls Ezekiel in that valley of dry bones to this foolish kind of hope. This hope that begins to speak to to bones that have been long dead. Now, in the news a lot lately, there's been a lot of talk about what constitutes life. I don't know if you remember the story. 
just recently, maybe a couple of months ago, Jahai McMath, the, uh, the 12-year-old girl that was having tonsil surgery and began to bleed profusely. And then, the, um, and then before you know it, she, she woke up from the surgery. She spoke to her mother. But then she went into ICU, and she comes out, and the doctors are saying she's brain dead. And they're saying brain dead is dead. And her mother's saying, no, I'm looking at this living daughter of mine. She's still alive. Though she's on a ventilator, she's still alive. And I'm going to keep on, I'm going to keep on hoping. You know, it's hard in those situations, if you've ever been there, it's hard to give up hope when it looks like a body is still alive and it's still breathing and still maybe moving to some degree. It's hard to give up hope. Ezekiel was in a hopeless place. It was a valley of dry bones. Those bones were long dry. It was nothing like the story of Jahai McMath where her parents could hope. There was no hope there in the valley of dry bones. But it was there that God called Ezekiel to a foolish kind of hope. Now, the story only makes sense in light of what was happening in the Israelite nation at that time. You see, the Israelites had been evaded by uh, uh, Babylon, and the Babylonians had come in, and they had systematically began to disassemble that nation. They was, were taking people and kidnapping them and carting them off. The people that stood their ground and wanted to fight, they were killing. The women they were taking and doing whatever they wanted to with them. It was a hopeless place. There was no hope for the Israelites, they were in a dry valley. It appeared as though life had long left, and they knew that it would take an act of God for anything to happen that would turn their situation around. And so the Israelites were in a dry place, and God gives Ezekiel this vision, right? This vision of dry bones, and that's representative of the nation of Israel. Can these bones live? And God tells him to begin to prophesy, to speak to these bones so that they can live. You see, the reality is throughout life, we'll find ourselves in hopeless situations, right? We've all been there a time or two or three or more times than we can count. A lot of times we've been in hopeless situations. And I love to say this, and I'll say it again. You guys can, you, you know, you hear me say it from time to time, that God writes his record of faithfulness on our lives, Right? That there are times that we've been in dry, deadly uh, situations, situations that weren't looking good, appeared to be hopeless, and God was able to bring us out of that. And that becomes a record of God's faithfulness that's written on our lives. And we got to take note of that because just as the scriptures talk about God being faithful, we can look back at our own story, our own narrative, and we can say, God has sure been faithful for me and in my life. And it's in that that we find encouragement. And so the Israelites were there. Sometimes we're there and we find ourselves in a hopeless place. Now, the natural inclination of human beings when they're in a hopeless place is to look for a way out of the valley, right? You've been there. Every strategy you could think of, right? When you're in a dark place, a hard place, a hopeless place, you begin looking for what can I do differently, right? That I can get out of this dark place. What can I do differently? What can I change? How can I find rescue or hope or help in this place that I'm in? The thing that we do is we look for the way out of the valley. But the scriptures time and time again are challenging us not to look for our way out of the valley, but to look for God in the valley 
with us. Psalm 23, I think it's verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. It's not so much about finding our way out of the valley, but it's where is God in the midst of this valley? Where is God in this dark, deathly, dry place? You see, Ezekiel was in this valley of dry bones, and God was there with him. Sometimes we're in dark places, dry places. And the scriptures are saying God is there with us. Now, I love the story of the Israelites um, because the temptation there is to say, uh, for them to say, where is God rescuing us from this situation? But if you read in Jeremiah, and it's a popular verse that's often read in Jeremiah chapter 29, um, the reality is, that it wasn't God's will for the Israelites in the midst of this valley of dry bones, this dry, hopeless place. It wasn't God's will for them to be rescued immediately out of it, but to seek God in the midst of it, to live for God there in the hardness of life there. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29, um, verse 4. I'm going to start reading there. It says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So these are the people whose uh, existence is characterized by this valley of dry bones. They're in a hard place. Life has become hard for them. It's difficult. They see no hope. It says, this is what the Lord says to them. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters, find wives and sons, and give your daughters in marriage so that they may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into, uh, into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams, uh, the the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. Often when we read this passage, we start right there with the, for I know the plans I have for you. But what God said to the Israelites is, for 70 years, you're going to be in that dark place. For 70 years, you're going to be in that hard place. And what you're to do there is to settle down, plant gardens, have kids, go about your life honoring God in that valley of the shadow of death in that deadly valley because it's not so much about getting out of the valley but it's about where is God in the midst of this valley where is God in the midst of hardship you see it's our struggle in the midst of our struggle often that we can glorify and honor God the greatest that we can make much of his name in the midst of our struggle and that's what we're created for Now, I want you to hear one central thing here this morning, and that's that we're not all created to be Ezekiel's, right? We're not all given that ministry. That's not God's call on all of our life. 
That was God's call for Ezekiel at a particular time in a particular place. Now, a lot of times the scriptures read in Ezekiel, it says, go prophesy to the bones, go call those bones to life. And a lot of times the scriptures read and people read it and they say, well, you need to speak to those dead things in your life, right? There's something that's dead in your life and you need to speak to it and you need to call it to life. And that's what God wants for you. It's kind of a name it and claim it. It's mine because I say it. And so we envision whatever God's will might be for us, right? Whatever I might want God to do, the places where I might want God to take me, the things I might want for myself. And I began prophesying that over my life because I read Ezekiel and it worked for him, right? And so we began naming it and claiming it. But the reality is for 70 years, God said to the Israelites, stay there, settle there in that dark place and live with it, honoring God. It's an amazing story. But it says something about our theology if we think we can just call things into existence in our lives. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him in spite of our condition and the place where we are in life. So God had called Ezekiel there to this valley of dry bones, to this particular ministry that was not the ministry of everybody in the nation, was not the ministry of everybody that served God. It was a particular ministry, a particular task, an assignment that he had for Ezekiel there amongst the Israelites to call life to come back to them. Now, in a similar way, we're ordaining Paul today because God has called him to a unique ministry, to a specific task. God has called him, in a sense, into a valley of dry bones to do ministry, to do work, to do the work that God created him for. You know, there's different work that God created us for. I like to say the moment God created you for is now. That for us, the moment God created us for is now. There's work before us that God has for us to do. But there's particular work that God has chosen for Paul. And it's very similar to the work of Ezekiel. Because it's work among the people for the building up of the people. Now, I laugh because the first time that Paul and I had a conversation about ordination, he said, we were talking about ordination and uh, and, and I said, well, well, what would you, what, what, well, what would we ordain you for? <laughs> and, uh, and he said, well, you know, my interest is, is, uh, is pastoral care. You know, and some of you don't know this. He's been a seminary for the past three years, right? Uh, three years. He's knocking it out in, in three years full time. And it, um, uh, sem- let me say the seminary is not easy, right? It's almost like a second bachelor's degree. What other master's is three years full time? I don't, I don't know one. Um, so he's been he's been working he's been grinding getting his his masters of divinity um and uh and so i said well well, what are we ordaining you for and i said well he says well where am i gifted and i said well i see where you're gifted every sunday morning you stand up here and you and you sing so we're ordaining you as as a as a as a singer he says no i've been i've been called i've been called to pastoral ministry to care for people um and i said well your gifts are are uh are are singing and, uh, and, and I realized that uh, are leading people in worship, or maybe I should say, uh, and, and I realized um, that, that I was going against in that very moment that I myself, I was going against my own theology and my philosophy of ministry. You see, I believe very, very firmly, wholeheartedly that God doesn't always call us in the area of our gifting. 
Now, what often happens in the church and in Christian institutions is they give you these little inventory tests and they say, take these things, spiritual gift tests, right? A sheet of paper, a couple of questions that some people came up with that tells you where you're gifted and where you should operate in ministry. And oftentimes we do that, but I always push back against those things because my own story says that I shouldn't be standing here if that's where my gifts were. You see, when we read the scriptures time and time again, we see that God doesn't call the qualified, but that God qualifies those he calls, right? God doesn't call the qualified, those who have particular gifts, but he often calls people out of their comfort zone and he puts his gifts in them that they can operate in those. And that's the very same thing. And even this week, Paul and I had this conversation and he talked about even wrestling with that himself and the fact that God is calling him not just in a place where he's comfortable, where he's obviously gifted, but God is calling him to a place of discomfort where he's not so much gifted and he can't rely on his natural gifts, like to use his voice to lead people in worship, but to lead people in another kind of way, to build people up in another kind of way. You see, ordination is not just about us uh, acknowledging Paul's gifts. But it's about us affirming the call that God has on his life. It's about us affirming the fact that God has called him and God has particular work for him to do. And that as he goes about his life doing that work, that God's spirit in him will equip him for the work that God has placed him here to do. And so, yeah, God is calling him just as he called me. And it was a reminder for me Um, that God does something neat in our lives when we answer that call and follow him. I joked with Paul earlier this week. I told him when I started school here at Point University, and I was a biblical studies major, people asked me, they said, well, what are you going to do with a biblical studies major? I told him I'm going to be a missionary, um, a mechanic on the mission field, right? Uh, Because I worked on cars. I was an auto mechanic at the time. I loved working on cars. And so I said, missionaries drive cars, right? They're in the middle of nowhere, some third world country, car breakdown, no mechanic to be found. Boom, Wesley jumps out the back seat, (laughs) fixes the car, read a few Bible verses, cars back on the road. That's what I was telling people. I've always wanted to go back and ask my professors if they thought I was foolish when I said that. Never have done that. That's what I told people because I was gifted mechanically, right? I was gifted in fixing things. That's what I did for two years. I fixed cars, right? And so I knew that God was going to use me in the area of my gifting. Um, But God said, no, I don't want to use you there. I'm going to put gifts in you that you never knew you had. The same thing is happening in Paul's life. That God is putting gifts in him that he never knew that he had. The same thing can happen in your life. That as we turn our eyes to God and as we put our focus on him, God puts gifts in us that we never knew that we had. And we only end up limiting God's ability when we look at our gifts and our comfort level and where we feel most comfortable and say, that's where God must use me. We always end up limiting God's ability and what God is able to do in our lives. And this morning, I want to just call Paul up here um, as, we, as we ordain Paul, um, because the reality is what we want to do is just share the time briefly of 
kind of conversation, but then also we're going to lay hands on him and pray for him um, because ministry can be a hard place. Now, when they walked in this morning and everybody had on dark suits, I was like, I might have given the wrong impression. Ministry doesn't mean you're dying. Like, <laughs> this is not the end of your life. We could have just rolled a casket out here and just put them in there, right? Um, I was like, ministry does not mean that this is the end of your existence. It's not that, right? But it is a hard place. It is a place of following God into the unknown, following God into places that you cannot yet see. It is a place of sacrifice, a place of hardship, and God has called him there. And so we want to support him and we want to pray for him. And so I jotted down just a few thoughts that I want to share with Paul, but I want to share them with Paul, but I also want to share them with you all. So this is kind of like a conversation with us, but you can listen in. Yeah, yeah, you can listen in. And so I just, I just wrote down just a few points that just from my experience that I wanted to share um, with Paul. And so this, the first one is this. Uh, never set your course hard by the plans and ideas that you have. Um, so hard by the plans and ideas that you have that you can't see the plans that God has for you. Um, I've learned this by experience. And that's that a lot of times I have these ideas of what I would like to see myself do and where I would like to go and where I would be. And if I had my way, I would not be at Tri-Cities Church. Right? Um, because I was in Jersey, right? I had left home and did not plan on coming back in less than a year. Uh, or a little over a year, less than two years, right? And so we set our plans, but we must be so flexible um, because God calls us, and God has no respect of our plans sometimes. Second thing I want to share with you is um, never think that the work that God has called you to do is more important or more pressing uh, than the work of pressing into God. You know, your spiritual time is the most beneficial thing that you can do in your life. The time that you spend with God is the most beneficial time that you can have. And the ministry calls you to work, and sometimes it's hard work. Um, but there's other work to be done that prepares you for this work. I think it's Martin Luther that says, um, I have so much to do that I can't get on with it without spending three hours in prayer. Now, we're not calling you to three hours of prayer, but... It says something about the spiritual life and being able to, um, to till that, um, to make it fertile, um, to be able to receive strength from God for the work that you're called to do. If we're working and we're not working with God, we're just working. <laughs> but God has called you to his work, to ministry. Third thing is family is first. Family is first. Um, that's ministry. Um, never let the church come before your family. Family is first. Next thing is never be driven by money or power um, because it can't bear the weight of God's glory. And if you allow it to prop you up by pursuing it, it'll crumble under you and you'll fall and find yourself on your face. Yeah, this is one of the lessons, first lessons I learned in ministry. Um, and, the, and the last one is God loves the church. Um, God loves the church. So love the church, right? Love the church even when it hurts you, even when it causes you pain, right? Love the church. All right, so um, just, just a couple of questions. So I have a couple of questions for, for Paul, and it's um, just, the, just the, you know, is our process of affirming you. 
Uh, it says, uh, have you prayerfully considered the responsibility of living and teaching the way of God? And have you weighed the work involved and the sacrifices you have been called to, to by God to make? Yes. Do you believe that Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God? Yes. Have you chosen to follow Jesus for the rest of your life? Yes, I have. Right. You know, that's what it means when we say, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That's what it means. It means that I accept, I choose to follow him for the rest of my life. That's what it means to have somebody as your Lord, as your, the leader of your life. Paul, are you motivated solely by God's glory and not by a desire for position, for power, or for money? Yes. And then the last thing is, will you strive to build a church by preparing God's people for works of service? And will you work to keep the church unified? Yes. I want to share with you guys, uh, unity is at God's heart. Um, it's at the very heart of, of God. Time and time again, when you see in the scriptures, whether it's Jesus talking or whether it's Paul talking, he's constantly talking about the church being unified, but there not being division in the church. Now, at Tri-Cities Church, we understand unity in a couple of different ways, right? Unity is not just not arguing and fighting and, and turning our backs on people, but unity also is about uh, this diversity that you see in this church, about us being a church that's committed to diversity, um, ethnic diversity, generational diversity, a church that's committed to seeing people united together uh, under the name of God for God's mission. And um, one of the things that we love most about, uh, about Paul and just being able to minister with him is that he has that same heart that we have for unity amongst people. Um, and so that's been just a privilege that, we, that we've had to work with him and even to be challenged by him. And so, so this morning we, um, uh, we, we kind of come in and Paul says, well, um, uh, you know, people keep asking me, am I, am I ready to be ordained? He says, is there a secret handshake, right, that, that, that I'm going to learn? Is there something that's going to change? Because the reality is, is that he's been ministering for a long time, far longer than I have. Um, and there's many things that I, that I have learned from him. Um, but this is just a time for us of affirming God's call as a church and, and ordaining him, which is something that he, that he just hadn't done before in the past. And so uh, we have um, a couple of guys that are going to come up uh, to lay hands on Paul. We have um, Blair's going to come up, Blair Walker. Some of you were here when he preached. Uh, Paul's an, I mean, Blair's an ordained minister. Some of you know him. Uh, if you don't get to know him, he's here every, every Sunday, typically right there in the back. Great guy to know. Another person is Steve Clark is going to come up. Uh, Steve Clark is a part of Community Christian Church. He's one of the pastors there. As a church, as Tri-City Church, we have a management team as we were getting started. So uh, Jamie and I were not just renegades, just running loose, starting a church, right? Uh, we are a little out of control from time to time, but we do have a management team that keeps us in check, that checks in with us. We really appreciate it, especially Steve was up a couple of weeks ago just to have lunch with us uh, and just to make sure that we were doing well uh, spiritually. And that's another thing is that ministry can be a hard place spiritually. In fact, you can be around people every day of your life and still feel lonely, right? And in ministry, a lot of times that's the case. You begin feeling lonely uh, as, you are, as you are constantly pouring out and nobody's pouring into you. Nobody's encouraging you and, and lifting you up. And so lift Paul up. Um, you can lift me and Jamie up too as well. We, we, don't, we, we, we wouldn't mind that. We won't, we won't complain about that. But, but lift your pastors and your leaders and those who God has placed in your midst to minister. Lift them up because it's a, it's a, it can be a lonely and a difficult place to be in. And then Jamie's going to come up and um, Cedric Phillips. Yep, Cedric's going to come up. 
Cedric is, is Paul's uh, city group leader. Um, and so Paul is in the city group, and, and Cedric's the leader of that group. Um, and so um, I think that's everybody that's coming up. All right. And so um, we're, we're just going to stand here, and, and, and in fact, we're not— uh, nothing really miraculous is happening and that nothing's like flowing through my hand into Paul or any of our hands into Paul. Um, But we do believe that this is a practice of the early church. They laid hands on people and prayed for them. And God did something with that, right? There's nothing special about our hands and there's nothing special about our prayer, but there is something special about our God. Yes. Um, And he can do miraculous and powerful things that Paul cannot even imagine that God would do. Yes. And so Jamie's going to lead us in prayer, and we're going to um, place our hands yes. on Paul. Uh, let me explain before I pray. In the middle of the prayer, I'm going to invite you, if you would, uh, to just say a one-sentence blessing, or actually a one-word blessing over Paul's life. And so when I get to that point in the prayer, um, I'll invite you, and you can stand up, and you can say peace, or you can say strength, or whatever, whatever comes to your mind, and some of you may speak at the same time, and that's okay, and I'll give you uh, just a minute or two uh, for us as a church community to do that, and then I'll continue on and finish the prayer. So I'll begin, and I'll invite you in the middle of the prayer to do that. Father God, we just thank you for, for moments like this, God. We look in your word, and we see that your church, uh, the community that were followers of you, God, they would at moments and times come together and they would feel that uh, your calling was on a certain person. And as that that call was made, God, um, they would pray, they would fast, they would seek you, they would seek your word, and then, God, they would lay hands upon that person and they would set them apart for a specific task or ministry. And so, God... This morning, we do that for Paul Kenny. God, he feels the call in his life. He's expressed it in the, in the way that he has lived his life, in the way that he's ministered to us here at Tri-Cities Church. God, he's done the work, the schoolwork, the studying work. God, he is in the middle of, of finishing that degree. And God, we pray blessing on his life as he continues that. But God, we, we want to honor this call. God, it's not an easy task. It's a full-time thing. And God, when you call us, as Wesley said, you call us sometimes into uncomfortable places. And God, we know that that's where Paul will be at many times. He'll be at times tired. He'll be at times where he doesn't want to answer the phone. He'll be at times when there are people that are just getting on his nerves. <laughs> and God but yet you've called him to, to be a minister. you called him to be an equipper, God. And we pray, Lord, that he will keep that in the forefront of his mind. And so, God, right now as a church community, we want to pray some blessings over Paul's life and over his ministry. And so right now, God, I invite the Tri-Cities community to bless Paul with these words.
God, all of these words, they sum up what a minister is. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for those blessings. And thank you, Father, that you, you don't just call the equipped, but you, you equip the, the called. God, we thank you for that equipping that will come on, on Paul's life. And God, that it will, will continue on throughout his ministry, throughout his tenure, as, as he follows you and as he follows this specific call on his life. And God, right now, I just want to pray for Paul's family. God, I pray for Kofi, Lord. And God, we thank you for the call on her life, Father God. We thank you for the fact that she is not just a support for Paul, but she's a minister right alongside of him, God. And we thank you, Father, for her wisdom, for her encouragement, the way that she keeps Paul straight. God, we just are, are grateful for that. And, and, and Father God, we just pray for her as a wife and as a mother. And God, for Anaya and for, for PJ, God, we just pray, Lord, that you will give them an extra dose of grace and a blessing, God. And uh, being a, a minister's kid is not always easy. And I just pray, Lord, that you will uh, put in them a love for the church continually and a love, God, for their father, and their father will love them, and his heart will be turned towards his home first. God, that will be his first and initial place of ministry. So, God, right now, we just, in our hearts and in our minds, we set Paul apart for your work. We set Paul apart for the ministry of the gospel. And so we, we ask, God, that you will do that in his heart as well. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now these guys can stop hearing me wrestle with uh, the question of ordination because reality is... I've been wrestling with, with this whole idea of ordination because the scriptures teach us two things, right? The scriptures teach us that, yeah, there are people that are set aside to a particular ministry and God has called them for that ministry. But the thing that I'm always wrestling with is that a lot of times we create this uh, almost a tension, if you will, or these, these two different roles in the church, right? There's the minister and then there's people that just church members, like people that attend church. Um, and, and that's not the case because the reality is the scriptures teach us that we've all been called to the ministry, that we're all called to, to ministry, to serve other people. And that when we're baptized, as we saw last week, two people were baptized, that when we're baptized, that our baptism is our ordination, that our baptism is our ordination. That's God setting aside for ministry. And so I don't want to create this idea that, yeah, I mean, Paul's ordained and, and, and he's a minister, but, but no, Paul's ordained, yes, he's a minister, but we're all ministers as well. In fact, we have all these, these name badges on, and we don't typically wear name badges at Tri-Cities Church, so this is your first time here. Don't worry about the name badges if you have like some kind of knee-jerk reaction to name badges. I don't like them either. I can't stand name badges, um, but, but they're, they're special. They're, this morning, something special that we're doing, and it's that God knows your that he, got, he knows your name, right? And God doesn't need a badge or a name badge to know your name. And Jesus died not just for the world in general, but Jesus died for you because he knew you by name. And he died not just to save you, but he died so that he could set you free for ministry, 
that he could set you free for the work that God has for you to do. Now, for pastors and for ministers, for people who are ordained, their work is to prepare the rest of us, to equip us for the work of ministry. They equip us for the work of ministry. In fact, there's a scripture in Ephesians where Paul says uh, just that. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 11. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up. So God has given us pastors. He's given us ministers. He's given us people in our midst who have been called to the very work of building us up so that we might serve. And so Paul has been called to this ministry, yeah, the ministry of building up the church, of equipping the church, of placing tools in our hands and helping us move to a place of healing that we might serve. Now let me finish reading that Ezekiel passage that we began with, Ezekiel chapter 37, and we'll close with this. Uh, In in verse 7, I'm going to pick up where I left off. So God says to Ezekiel, right, go into that valley of dry bones. It's long dead. It's a hopeless place. And begin prophesying to that valley. Basically, do ministry there in the valley, in that hopeless place. Look what it says in verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise, a rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them, and they came to life and stood on their feet a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say our bones are dried, our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I'll put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you. In your own land, then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. So these dry places, as Ezekiel did ministry amongst the bones, bones that were lifeless, bones that were hopeless, people in hard situations, a church that sometimes feels lifeless, a people that sometimes feel hopeless, some people who feel like a dark cloud has sometimes descended upon them. God has called Ezekiel, God has called Paul into those places that he might speak life there. And notice what happened. The bones began to rattle. They began connecting back with one another. And I love the way it says tendons appeared on them. Muscle began to rebuild. Skin covered them. People were built up and strengthened as Ezekiel did ministry in the valley of dry bones. People will be built up and strengthened as you, Paul, do ministry here at Tri-Cities Church. This morning, we're going to share in a time of communion, and we're going to do it just a little bit different. Um, 
There's the four tables around the room, and typically we just go to those tables. Well, this morning we'll have people at the tables holding the trays um, for you. Um, and so that's pretty much the only thing different is there's still four tables as the worship team sings. I want you to go to those, one of those tables and share in a time of communion. Right? But I want you to be mindful of this, and that's that God knows your name, that God has called you to ministry. That God doesn't need to look at the name badge that you're wearing this morning to know your name. But when the scriptures say that Jesus' body was broken for you, it's not saying for you general, but for you specific, that you might be set free for the ministry that God has called you to. And when the scriptures say that Jesus' blood was spilled for you, it's not just you general, but it's you specific for the specific ministry that God has called you to. Because the reality is, as Paul equips us, as he works among us to build us up, yeah, we're sent out of here to our workplaces, to our homes, to our neighborhoods, places where we're able to do ministry that builds others up, that equips them, that they too may be sent, and that they too may do the work that God has called them to do. So let's pray together and then... Whenever you feel comfortable, go to one of these tables, share in communion, but know that God knows your name and he's called you. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks this morning. Yeah, that you know our names, that you've called us. God, as messed up as our lives are sometimes, even when we're in dark places, God, yeah, you've called us to work on your behalf for the benefit and the blessing of people for the benefit and blessing of your creation. God, we praise you this morning that you've called Paul to build up the church. God, I pray that as we are built up, that we'll be sent out and we'll have a very clear view of mission, that we'll have a very clear view of the work that you've called us to do. As you say in Ephesians, we're your workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good work. May that work become clear to us. It's in your son, Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen.